Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We're Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you're Abraham's descendants, yet you're looking for a way to kill me because you've no room for my word. I'm telling you what I have seen in the father's presence and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you are Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you're looking for a way to kill me. Is that right? Okay. As it is, you're looking for a way to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you're unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he's a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Officially, good morning everybody. It's an interesting passage. I've preached through uh, John 8 over the last three weeks and interestingly, uh, it's just this, I think it's so sad. It's just, you know, Jesus is doing all these wonderful things but there's so much sort of negativity and opposition. And, um, and yet I sort of feel there's a bit of encouragement there because... You know, at the moment we're not necessarily seeing a, a wonderful receptivity to the Christian faith. And yet when Jesus was around, it seemed every time he was trying to say something wonderful or do something wonderful, there was all this opposition around him. So I'm, I'm taking great sort of relief, realising, you know, God's got it all under control. I just wanted to, um, a bit of trivia, with the Miles Dunphy race this weekend, uh, two years ago today I first met Erica and Leonie and... Um, and the rest of the pastoral search team. So it's hard to believe, isn't it? Two years since we sort of first met up with the church. So it's, um, hasn't that flown? Just beautiful to sort of reflect on God's faithfulness in that time. Yeah, today I've got the, I'm speaking at an Anglican church and look, I think that's um, cause for celebration that you know, more and more churches um, seem to be getting sort of getting comfortable with each other. I'm not, I'm not going to sort of say that it's a, a, a sort of smooth process. I always look at it as these sort of, you know, these rivers that tended to flow their own way are sort of converging. And so when, when you sort of get big rivers converging, you get turbulence. And so it's not, it's not particularly a smooth run as we sort of 
work with other denominations, but it's worth doing, isn't it? It's worth us as a sort of public sort of demonstration of our unity and our desire to sort of get on and, 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 and not just desire to get on, but this sort of real desire to be one in the body of Christ. And look, it hasn't always been that way, unfortunately. Certainly growing up, I can reflect on what it was like in the to sort of grow up in Australian society and you really quite often didn't even realise that they were the same sort of religion. It was just denominations tended to be so sort of different in the way they expressed the Christian faith. Very much culture-based. If you were from an English background, you most likely would be in a Baptist church or a Methodist church or a Church of England. If you were Scottish, you'd be a Presbyterian. If you were, say, Irish or Italian, Roman Catholic, German... You see what I mean? It's sort of, we can sort of tie in where people would fit and quite often where your family fitted, you fitted. That's right, isn't it? If you went to a Baptist church, chances are your father did, your grandfather did, their families did, you, you met your wife there, they met their wives there. It was very much a, a cultural thing, the Christian church and quite often you know, the, the commonality might have been you went to church on Sunday or else but it seemed when you went there it was very different expressions of that Christian faith. Like I sort of love that we're sort of at least trying to work through our understandings of, you know, I think, any number of things. Anything we do as, a, as churches, it's sort of seen through different filters. And so I love that we're at least trying going forward to sort of present this unified voice. I think that the great sort of problem with many people is they thought, well, how, how can they have a voice in my life? They talk about Jesus being loving. They say, you know, he'll know, we'll know they're his disciples by their love for one another. And yet, there was quite often a lot of contempt, a lot of um, negativity at other denominations. Is that a fair sort of comment with most people? You sort of feel, looking back, looking back. So it's sort of, um, you know, not, not trying to be too harsh on people. But it certainly seems nowadays we're much sort of um, happier to present a unified voice. Yeah, individually, individually, all these churches would have said they held on to the Bible's teaching, wouldn't they? They would have said, we love the Bible, we preach from the Bible. But very selective and in hindsight, only in hindsight. You know, if all the Protestants in Australia felt it was okay to hate the Catholics, for example then it's going to be hard for anybody to sort of question that. To sort of say, are you sure? Are you sure you should be you know, showing such hatred or such, saying such bad things about your brothers and sisters in Christ? And, and many people would have sort of felt it was okay. Because if, if everyone's doing it, then unfortunately it's going to be hard to be that single voice sort of going, well, maybe... Look, it's, again, hindsight's a wonderful thing and, and I don't want to be too hard on them. I reckon... Chances are we'll look back and realise there's probably something about the way we are trying to be the body of Christ that we could do better with hindsight. But we can't go back. We've got to go forward. Now, Jesus today is speaking to people who think they're following God. They think everything's fine with them and they hear this young, sort of this 30-odd-year-old sort of giving them a hard time and they get very, very angry at him because they've always been part of this faith, this religion. They've always done it. Their father was. They married, you know, similar sort of things. 
don't you dare come and tell us that we're doing anything wrong. And yet, the problem is, Jesus says, you're not supposed to go back. Don't go back. Don't sort of rely on that. You've got to go forward. It's about us standing before Jesus, hearing what he says and going forward, not going back. And I think that's so important for our society. Our society looks back, don't they? They said, well, we've we've dismissed the Christian faith. We sort of can't see anything good there, but... You know, we don't want to go back. We, we hope, and I believe this is what the Lord would say to us, that, that we go forward with Jesus from this point. They will go forward with Jesus. I hope we see some beautiful things in the days to come. As they've rejected Jesus, Jesus will work so powerfully. The first thing we see is that even though they believe they were God's children, they've got no room for his word in their life. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They're beautiful words, aren't they? They're words that those of us that have faith would say amen to that. Amen. We are set free. We are free indeed because of what the Lord has done. The truth that Jesus offers sets us free. But the moment he offers that freedom to them, the very moment they rejected, we've always been free. We've never been slaves to anyone completely dismissing what Jesus says. What Jesus says to them, you're slaves to sin. And only he alone, Jesus alone, can deal with that. And again, as I say, we say amen to that. But they couldn't. They couldn't hear what Jesus was saying because it's so far from their experience. They they can't yield to what Jesus is saying. They're very much in self, self self-willed, self-confident, self-satisfied. They're relying on their faith. They're relying on their... They don't, in a sense, they don't even really need God because they're, they're, they're just you know, presenting as, as really confident, self-willed people. Unfortunately, they've got no need for Jesus. They've got no room for him and what he's saying. We're not sinners. We're, we're Abraham's descendants. You know, they appeal to Abraham and Jesus says, I know you are. I know you're Abraham's descendants but you're looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. That even though they might have been Abraham's descendants, they're nothing like him. Abraham, think about him, a man of faith, a man who based his whole life on following God's word. He got a word from God and he trusted God. Even when it meant that he wouldn't see the results straight away and it was a difficult journey, he still believed God's word. He had room for what God would say in his life. Well, it's obvious, isn't it? Their physical descendants may be of Abraham. They can, they can sort of trace the lineage back to Abraham, but they're nothing like him when it comes to Abraham's faith. Abraham obeyed God's voice. They're hearing God's voice through Jesus and they're completely dismissing it. They've got no room for him. In fact, God's word makes them hostile. And that's the last thing that should have been happening to God's people. They're resisting God. In verse 38, Jesus starts to reveal who they're really listening to. He says, I'm telling you what I've seen in the Father's presence and you are doing what you've heard from your Father. Big F, little F. I wonder if they knew what he was talking about yet. But he insists he's always done. His message isn't just from him. It's not just a message Jesus has come up with. This is a message given to him by the Father. He's only speaking what he hears the father say. They've also heard things from their father and they're 
doing those things also, even though they're not aware of it. Their father is telling them these things. Tell and do, I'm telling you these things, you're doing these things. It, it's, it's, a, it's a word that means ongoing, it's continuous, it's persistent. I'm persisting in telling the truth, even though you're not wanting to listen to me, I'm persisting in it and you're persisting in disobeying me. So there's this sort of just persistence involved here. Who you're following is who you're obeying, who you're listening to is who you're going to become like. I'll say that again, who you're following is who you're obeying who you're listening to is who you're going to become like. If you're listening to the word of God, if you're allowing the word of God to permeate you, you're going to become more like God. If you're resisting what God's persistently trying to do in your life, you're not going to become more God-like. In fact, you're going to become less like God. You're going to become more, rather than the one who wants to give you life in abundance, you're going to, your life will be stolen. And you know, John 10.10 10, all the good that God wants to do in your life, if you resist it, it's not going to happen. You're going to become more like the, the evil around us. In response, again, they justify their relationship with Abraham. Abraham is our father. Jesus cuts them off. If you were Abraham's children, you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you're looking for a way to kill me, a man who's told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham didn't do such things. You're doing the work of your own father. Again, they just, they just seem like puppets getting sort of closer and closer to the cross. They're, they're just longing to murder Jesus, longing to see him dead. No matter what happens, no matter how much good they see Jesus do, there's just this persistence. You know, the, the devil, the one who wants to steal, kill and destroy, is just in their lives. It's, just, it's almost like they can't even see what they're doing. And Jesus is distinguishing between, again, hereditary children, those that are sort of grown up there, rather than true children. The religious leaders, they're hereditary children of Abraham. Now, he's the founder of the Jewish nation, so they can trace back to Abraham. But Jesus says it's their actions that's really showing who their father is, wanting to murder him who's telling you the truth, isn't the mark of someone who, who's like Abraham, who was hearing the truth and obeying it. Their actions prove their father's very different. So our true father is the one we imitate and obey. It is a challenging time to live in as Christians. I think it's not going to be that church membership or family connections that we can rely on or are going to show us as the true children of God in these times. No one cares if we grew up in church. If the current climate is, is, is sort of what we can go by, the way that Christians just seem to be increasingly attacked, even physically, it may be that they need to see the character of Christ in us, especially when they speak ill of us or treat us poorly, that somehow you know, we, we can get indignant, which is a lot easier to do, isn't it? It's a lot easier to go tit for tat than it is to sort of pray and hope that somehow that the character of Christ would be shown. We can somehow be gracious and loving. That somehow that reveals our Father because we're showing this grace and love. For Jesus though, it doesn't seem to work. It just seems that no matter what he says, they are just against him. They say in verse 
41, really nasty. We're not illegitimate children. The only father we have is God himself. Yeah, I'm sure back then there were rumours about Jesus, about who his father was. You know, about all that, yeah, sure he was he's telling everybody that he's this, you know, he's, his father's God and he's the virgin birth and all that. But, you know, the rumours I'm sure were around about Jesus' questionable birth. And so they're getting nasty, I think, here. They're basically saying, you know, how can you, <laughs> you, don't stand, you don't have a leg to stand on Jesus. You know, they're proud that they were conceived the right way. You know, God wouldn't accept an illegitimate child like him. Really nasty. If that's the case, I think what Jesus says next is so touching. Again, he says, look at your actions and attitudes. Is this, is this really godly, what you're doing? If God were your father, you would love me. And those sad words from Jesus. Here he is amongst his brothers and sisters. And basically, he's saying, I've come here from God. I've not come on my own. God sent me. They call themselves children of God. They should have recognised Jesus as one of theirs and would have, should have treated him and showered with him with love instead they reject and resist him and are trying to kill him. There should have been a family likeness that drew them and bound them together. That's why I sort of love this time in which we're trying to be denominations getting a bit closer, trying to be brotherly to one another, trying to sort of show the love of God. They're unable to hear and as a result they can't accept the truth. You know, Jesus replies in verse 43, why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. They're so wrapped up in what they believe, they can't actually hear what Jesus is saying. It's so beyond what they were taught that they just reject it. More than that, it's not just that they don't want to listen, it's that they've set themselves up that they can't listen. And I just think there's a nice application here for us as an aside that you know, if we were to say this morning, we, we left here and went, you know, God really spoke to me this morning. It's not because God's learnt how to communicate better, is it? It's not so, you know, God's basically, oh, I've got to, I've got to work out how to sort of do something. I'm doing something wrong here. Now, that, that's not the case at all, is it? That it's actually us who have to make ourselves get into a place where we actually are open to hear from God. It's because we're hearing better, we're willing to change, that God can speak to us sometimes. Sometimes we can just put up this barrier to not actually want to hear anything, especially if it's something that that's, you know, sort of just doesn't fit, fit with the choices we're making. But, you know, there's this sort of persistence that you know, God quite often wants to persist in telling us rather than constantly putting up barriers. Sometimes we're the ones who need to basically say, I need to learn to listen more. I love what one preacher says, let's always make listening to God one of our best skills of communication. It's hard to tune into heaven's message if our lives are full of earthly static. It's true that if, if we're sort of not allowing ourselves to be in a place where we can hear from God, then we won't. And sadly, it's, it's just too true. Don't reject something that God might be trying to teach you, God be wanting to show you. If he's, you sort of feel like he's persistently trying to do it. Just pray, Lord, help me hear better. Help me accept better. It's not just, now this is a problem, it's not just their stubbornness that's preventing them from hearing for God. They start there, but there's something and someone behind 
this rejection. And Jesus tells them next. He names who their father really is. The one who's guiding how they're living their lives. He says, you belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. Not holding to the truth. For there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. So their attitudes, their actions, their rejection, their resistance is showing they're the devil's children. They're carrying out his desires and sadly they're doing it voluntarily. They want to do it. Jesus says you want to do it. He sees beyond what he's looking at to their heart and he can see the hardness there. They're actually wanting to do this. They may not be conscious of that. But what God says is the truth. What he's speaking is the truth. And if you're constantly rejecting it, then there's got to be something greater behind what's happening. It's, not, it's their rejection of the truth, a false belief, their murderous intentions. It's showing how much control the devil has. He's showing you know, all these things that you're doing, you're actually, you may not be able to control it, but it's just so obvious to me who your father is. Now, Satan's got no interest in God's truth. What he says will contradict it. The devil speaks lies as naturally as, as God speaks the truth. Now, God's children are revealed by their love of the truth. The devil's children by their refusal to accept him. Jesus warns us and them the devil is the father of all lies. How should we be aware of his work in the world? Well, whenever what is taught, whatever is promoted, whatever is sort of brought out, it contradicts God's word. You're reading up on this passage this week, I like what one commentator said. He said, the devil makes his lies appear more alluring and more palatable than God's stark truth. Beware, Satan makes a lie sound the truth and God's truth sound a lie. And it's so true, this, this idea that somehow... The lies are more palatable than God's stark truth. You know, quite often, you know, God will speak very succinctly. He'll just give a truth. And there'll be this argument, you know, pages and pages long to contradict that. And rather than just accepting God and his word, like, you know, a childlike faith and belief, we'll sort of believe did God really mean that or say that? Is that really true anymore? And this wonderfully palatable lie will be given to us. It's true, isn't it? I see it constantly in this world, just the way in which we're trying to be sold something and this is the reason why. You know, scriptures revealed who Jesus was. Scriptures revealed he was the Messiah and they should have been seeing that. But what Satan had allowed them to believe was, was big and murder this heretic, even though Satan knew Jesus was speaking the truth. Amen? So Satan knew it too. Satan knew that Jesus was, everything he said he was, was true. But still he was able to have this influence because what he said and made people believe was reasonable. We need to remember Satan's also a fisher of men, unfortunately. The bait is whatever will lure us to take the hook of sin. And it's usually hidden. The, the hook's hidden, isn't it? Just like fishing. You know, a lovely enticing meal, but there's a hook in there. He has to hide the hook and make it look appealing as possible. So quite often he'll appeal to legitimate needs we feel we have. 
to hide his real intent, which is to get us to disobey or doubt God and doubt his word. Yes, sometimes we will find ourselves questioning our faith. Martin Luther, wonderful reformer, said for more than a week Christ was wholly lost. I was shaken by desperation and blasphemy against God. Martin Luther, the great reformer, blasphemy against God. There are moments when we find with life's struggles, life's, you know, the difficulties of everyday life, we sometimes find ourselves you know, questioning. We sometimes find ourselves, unfortunately, susceptible to the devil. He is really trying to stop us. You know, he's the accuser of the brim. He's trying to stop us from actually going forward. And, and, and fortunately, good old Paul in Ephesians, very, very well-known passages, you know, Paul says we wrestle against him. We wrestle against the spiritual powers of this dark world, the rulers and authorities, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. There's a wrestle going on. There's a wrestling match going on. When we are attacked by doubt, when we're attacked by being tempted away from believing the truth, we actually have two wonderful parts of armour. Truth. Is it the shield of truth? No, no. The, the belt of truth and the shield of faith. Truth and faith. We've got truth. We, we can trust when the devil comes with us. We can put up the shield, and, or the, the belt of truth and the shield of faith that says, no, I'm not going to go there. And, and the promise is, they can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. When as God's people, we come up against this, this wall of doubt and negativity, we can just by faith and truth extinguish those arrows. So as we saturate our mind with the truth, God's word, our faith is strengthened. And we know that, don't we? We know that's true. And you get better at it, I like to hope, as we get older. You just get a bit sort of hard. You, know, you, you get toughened, battle, battle toughened. We're able to stand when, when we, we're against doubt. So how do you believe? Jesus has a question of his own. He says, can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? He asks him, find one, come on, find one thing that I'm guilty of. No one can accuse him of anything, but they still hate him. They still won't believe the truth he's telling. If there was no sin he was speaking the truth, they'd have to admit it. If he was speaking the truth, they'd have to believe him. But Jesus says in verse 47 why they're not able to believe him. Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you don't hear is you don't belong to God. Whoa. It goes south from here. It's just such a, like, it, yeah, he wasn't making any friends at all here. It just seems that he's just willing to keep telling the truth, keep saying the truth to them, even though they're not going to believe him. A person must belong to God to truly hear what God says. His rivals didn't belong to God. Whoever belongs to God should be able to hear the truth and embrace it and hold on to it, cling to it, cling to it at all times. Don't we need to sort of hear that? It's not just about when times are going good that we rely on the truth. 
It's when things are just thrown at us that we just think, no, we are going to cling to this truth, particularly when you've seen it set you free. It's almost like, no, he did it before, he'll do it again. I'm not going to believe. Why? Because I'm God's child. I'm firmly and fully his. In John 18, 37, this is what Jesus says when Pilate questions him, are you a king? Jesus replies, this is, this is why he came. I came to bring truth to the world. All who love the truth are my followers. You know, we've got to love the truth. It's not just about, you know, sort of having a, a, a hedgeway bed. It's like, no, Lord, no matter what you say, I want to love that. I want to trust that. Even when I don't feel like I can hold on to it, I, I just want to cling and you know what I love about that is that somehow we feel like we're clinging on to God but it's actually him who's got a firm grip on us, isn't it? Even when we feel like, you know, oh, I'm just holding on, I'm just holding on. It's almost like even when we're not, he's got us because that, 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 that is a strong grip he has on us. Now, truth is such an ab- abstract concept. I don't want to go into this too much but you know, our, our world would say there's no absolute truth. There's no, you can't say any one thing anymore and expect it to be true across the whole scale. Now, there's relative truths and, and, and the whole idea is in Western countries we only had Christianity to choose from. So, so basically that's why the West is Christian because that's all we've ever had. But now as we, we, you know, we're in a smaller world and all these other faiths are accessible, it's sort of all relative. There's no one thing for all humanity. So nowadays in a sense God's truth is like a foreign language that most people can't understand. So does the devil win? No, no, he doesn't win. And, and this is why I want to end on a high note. Now, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 4.4, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. It's very black and white. They can't. So is that the end? Is that it? So they don't, they don't you know, what did Jesus say? You don't belong to God. If you belong to God, you, you obey him. But you don't belong to God, so that's why you can't hear. Obviously, no, God didn't stop there. And so we have this beautiful thing called grace. You know, Satan's got such a hold on people's minds, he prevents them understanding and receiving the good news. It was interesting, I remember um, years ago when Ben was in kindy, um, he was quite the, uh, the preacher and he went to his um, kindergarten class, I think it was, and, and basically was telling all the kids you don't believe, you know, just because Satan's blinded your mind. We, we had a call from the teacher. <laughs> you know, it's just, it, it, yeah, it's just an interesting thing. You, they cannot believe. What I love about this, three verses later, you've, you've heard in, in verse four, the God of the angels, he's got this incredible power over people to blind their minds. Verse 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. That even though Satan has got this incredible hold over the human race, we have an all-surpassing power. Don't we need to listen to that? Don't we need to trust that? At this time, no matter what's going on, it's an all-surpassing power. We're not left alone. We're not just sort of you know, expecting everything's going to go to pot. We're not just left helpless or hopeless. And just a reminder, John 16, didn't Jesus tell his disciples, 
that when he went away they would have the Holy Spirit to help them. And who was he revealed as? A spirit of truth. A spirit of truth. When he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. So we have that. We have the spirit of truth living in us that will constantly, constantly be telling us the truth, constantly be setting us free, constantly allowing us to be free indeed as God's people. No matter what else is happening, we have the spirit of truth with us. What's so exciting though is even before Jesus tells the disciples they'll have the spirit of truth, he says what the spirit is going to be doing in the world. It's not just for God's people that the Holy Spirit comes. The Holy Spirit comes to convict and convince the world of what Jesus has done. So he's working outside these walls. He's working within the walls of church, but he's also working just as powerfully outside. When the Holy Spirit has come, he will convince the world of its sin and of the availability of God's goodness and of deliverance from judgment. The world's sin is unbelief in me. There is righteousness available because I go to the Father and you shall see me no more. There is deliverance from judgment because the Prince of the world has already been judged. So amidst all of everything that's happening, unbelief, the one that's blinded their minds has actually been judged and defeated. So there's still grace available. No, no matter, it doesn't even matter if people want it. It's still available and, and the Holy Spirit is longing to show people the love of God, constantly wanting to show people that even though they might have rejected God, his grace extends to them. We have the delight of partnering with the Holy Spirit. It may not sort of seem like the church of 40 or 50 years ago, but it might look more like the church of 2,000 years ago, that somehow, as God's working out there, we get to partner with what God's doing. I, I, I spoke a couple of weeks ago about just the walk that I went on in America. The way, as I was walking, I got to pray for someone for healing, got to lead someone to the Lord, doing nothing but just walking and being open to God. It was very, very challenging to see God work so powerfully because you think this is available. This is actually partnering with a God who wants to reach out to those that have rejected him. And he's getting creative as he does it. The world is full of people that are slaves to sin. They are, but the truth will set them free and they can be free indeed. The great promise Jesus says that the Holy Spirit offers deliverance from that sin. Still, the father of lies is no match for the spirit of truth. He has all surpassing power. We're living in a time we can't expect people to come to church. I don't think we should just write them off as backsliders. The fact is they maybe aren't coming here because we've got to go out to them as the Spirit is out there with them. In today's passage, Jesus says, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And I pray we're set free from a fear of reaching them. I pray that we can be set free to just have a trust that God is there anyway and just get excited about how he could work outside these walls. When we encounter non-believers in here or out there, remember, 
we're interacting with people the Spirit wants to set free that probably has been working in their lives. Somehow, may it be evident as we enter their lives that we are people that are set free and we have something to offer them. May we live our lives as people that are free indeed. Now, we're going to sing a song called Relentless. I just, as I was preparing this sermon, I just kept coming back to this song, this idea of, of endless grace that the Lord has. You know, the whole idea of provenient grace. I'm not sure if people know about this. It's almost like grace that came even before we wanted it. Grace that came even before we actually were looking for God. It didn't rely on us having the sort of having conscious decision to follow God. He just wanted to reach out to us. Do you relate to that? Don't you love, no matter what I was doing, God loved me so much that he just kept drawing me back, kept working in my life. Yeah, that's, that's God's love. God's love doesn't rely on this world, in a sense, even choosing him. God's love wants to reach out to them. You know, and, so, and I pray for Greg, you know, that, that, that somehow in situations where you're just working in people's lives. I, I remember myself, you know, when I used to be in the inner city before, I, I, you know, when I was just volunteering, People would say to me, why have you left your job? I'd sort of tell them what I was doing and they'd sort of say, but why would you? Why would you do that? And the whole motivation is just love, just wanting to reach out to people. It doesn't matter the cost. It's just wanting to be used by God to show his grace and love. to us. So I pray that for Greg. I pray there's just opportunities where people just sort of go, wow, we're seeing God with, with, with flesh here, you know, God's put flesh on, his, on, on, on people to show his love. I'm just going to pray for us while, while the band sort of comes up. Oh, Lord, it is so true. You, we know the truth and you set us free. Lord, we are free indeed. Those beautiful words from Martin Luther King, free indeed, free indeed. Lord, I just pray for us as your people that, that we would just... Um, Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you live in us, Spirit of truth, and you're with us whenever we leave here. And I, and I do pray, Lord, that you would just somehow give us opportunities, be creative in how we can just reach those that the, that the evil one has blinded their minds, Lord God, that you are all-surpassing power. Lord God, thank you. Thank you so much that we can just reflect right now on your grace to us, your goodness to us. It's, it's not because we were born in a church, not because you know, we, we sort of, our, our family were Christians from 100 years ago. It's, it's purely because as we stand before you, Jesus, as you speak those words into our life, we, we accept them for our own. You're a faithful God. You've just shown yourself so faithful time and time again to us. And I do pray, Lord, as we leave these places and go into a world that doesn't know you, a world that may have rejected you, that, Lord, we just pray for that all-surpassing power to flow, to flow in our community in Jesus' name. We pray. Amen. Amen.